Hi, and welcome to the Law Notes episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. On today's show, we are going to continue to update you on the very latest on the transgender military ban after the Supreme Court decision to reverse the stays on the preliminary injunctions. Next, we're going to be talking about ADF's desire to permit the torture of queer youth by attacking several recent laws banning conversion therapy, including one right here in New York City. Finally, we are going to discuss the latest Title VII action, including a bad circuit court ruling, as well as two positive district court rulings on employment discrimination cases where judges seem to be fighting back against bad circuit precedent. With us, as usual, is New York Law School professor Art Leonard, chief editor and of Legal's LGBT Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest LGBT legal developments here and abroad. Hi, Art. Hi. All right, let's dig in. So on the first piece, you may remember from the last episode, we discussed at length the U.S. Supreme Court's decision um, to deny petitions from the Trump's DOJ asking the court to review preliminary federal district court rulings that have kept the Trump administration from implementing its discriminatory ban to prevent transgender people from serving openly in the U.S. armed forces. And, of course, we also discussed that in a 5-4 decision, the court granted the Department of Justice's request for a stay on the preliminary injunctions, which may ultimately allow the administration to begin to enforce its policy, thereby kicking out openly transgender troops and denying transgender people the opportunity to enlist. We'll have more for you on that. Transgender troops, including some plaintiffs in these cases that we've been discussing, were guests at the State of the Union. And meanwhile, lawmakers in Congress have introduced legislation that would allow current and future transgender troops to serve openly in the military. Art, will you update us on what has happened basically you know, to get us to this point, and what has changed since the last time we talked about this? Okay, well, the last time we talked about this was our special podcast that we did a few days after the Supreme Court's action. Uh, The Supreme Court acted on January 22. So there have been a few developments. Uh, One thing to keep in mind is there were four preliminary injunctions uh, coming out of the district courts in Washington, D.C., Maryland, Riverside, California, and Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was an appeal pending by the Justice Department uh, in the Ninth Circuit, which has been argued but has not been decided. Uh, But what has happened there is with the Supreme Court's decision uh, to stay the preliminary injunctions uh, in the D.C. case and the Ninth Circuit cases, uh, the uh, plaintiff's attorneys have uh, filed a motion, or maybe it's just a request with the Ninth Circuit. They said, don't decide this appeal. They said, it's a waste of your time. The Supreme Court has stayed these preliminary injunctions, so we suggest that uh, you just vacate the preliminary injunctions, uh, grant the uh, DOJ request without having an argument, and focus your attention on the other question pending before you, because they were also, uh, the Justice Department was appealing the discovery orders. And that is very significant, because in the uh, Maryland case, the federal district judge has stayed discovery 
pending the Ninth Circuit's ruling on the discovery orders from the West Coast cases. Oh. <laughs> sort of interesting. So uh, the Ninth Circuit has been told, uh, you know, the Supreme Court says they're stayed. You might as well vacate them uh, and turn your attention to something else. And I think that was a, a smart move because we might have gotten a bad decision from the Ninth Circuit, like the awful D.C. Circuit decision we got on January 4th. Yeah. Uh, which we also discussed briefly in our uh, podcast from a few weeks ago, uh, turning to what's happening in D.C., which is also very interesting. Uh, in D.C., uh, the Supreme Court uh, was asked by the Justice Department uh, in light of the Court of Appeals ruling uh, from the D.C. Circuit, uh, they asked the, the court just to hold the petition uh, pending the possibility that the plaintiffs would file a motion for on-bank review. Uh, and since the uh, D.C. Circuit had basically uh, ordered the vacating of the preliminary injunction there, uh, they got the relief they wanted, so they withdrew their motion, or you know, they, they said, we don't need that anymore. Right. But what they weren't counting on uh, was the fact that on January 4th, when the D.C. Circuit issued its decision, it was in the form of a brief order Okay. And it said, full opinions to follow later. And of course, they're not going to issue their mandate to the district court until the full opinions follow. And so the district court has not lifted the preliminary injunction. So wow. the one in D.C. is still in effect. And in fact, perhaps in realization of the fact that they were taking longer than they expected to draft these opinions, at the end of January, the court notified the parties that the time to file a motion for on-bank review will be extended it won't begin to run until these opinions come out, which haven't come out yet, and it's, it's already February 12th. Uh -huh. So those opinions haven't come out yet, and the court said they will have three weeks from the time the opinions come out to file their motion for on-bank review. And in the meantime, no mandate has gone to the district court, so the preliminary injunction in the D.C. case is still in effect. In addition, the district judge in Maryland hasn't ruled yet on the Justice Department's motion to vacate that preliminary injunction. Wow. Which means there was nothing to appeal to the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court's uh, granting doesn't of the motion apply doesn't apply there. So that one's still in effect. Can now, the judges never issue? Well, the government has, has filed a motion asking the judge to expedite his ruling in light of the Supreme Court's granting right. uh, the motions to stay. So, but they did that a few weeks ago, and he hasn't ruled yet, at least unless he rules this morning. Uh, yeah. He hasn't ruled yet. Okay. So the thing to tell people about the transgender military ban right now is that it still hasn't been implemented. Uh, and furthermore, if you look carefully at what Trump did back in February of 2018, uh, when Mattis submitted his proposed plan for implementation, Trump said, I am revoking my prior memorandum, uh, which ordered that the ban go into effect in March. Mm -hmm. I am withdrawing that, revoking it, and anything else I've uh, issued on this, which is an oblique way of mentioning his tweets, and he authorized Mattis to adopt the policy he thought appropriate. And he indicated in the letter, the policy you have recommended to me strikes me as appropriate. But he didn't order Mattis to implement that policy. Okay. Which means that the Justice Department, or, or rather the Defense Department at this point, is not under orders from the President to implement any particular policy. Which means in light of the unfolding litigation and the evidence that's been coming in, and the battles over discovery and everything else, 
it's up to the acting Secretary of Defense to decide how to proceed. And so far, when journalists have asked them, what are you going to do when all these injunctions are finally lifted? He said, well, we're, we're studying the matter. So we don't even know what they're going to do. Uh, it, it isn't certain that when all these preliminary injunctions end that they're going to implement the Mattis plan. They may decide to tweak it in some way. Uh, they may decide that it has become increasingly indefensible with respect to the currently serving people who haven't transitioned uh, to require them not to transition. Right. Uh, there are things that are going on here, and this could stretch out, and it could stretch out into presidential election year. It, it could become a big issue. Uh, and if there is a change in administration, it could be that if even if something goes into effect, it might not last very long. That's true. Because this isn't a, a result of legislation. This is a result of uh, discretionary decision-making by the president and to some extent And we could still get legislation. I we mean, could. if we flip the Senate, we have – this is a bipartisan yeah. Yeah, effort right now. But we, but we won't get around to flipping the Senate for, you know, another two years. So. But if this drags on. The right. issue is that, yes – for now, this could keep dragging on, and there's reason for some optimism. But at the same time, ultimately, the stakes are so high here, and the decision was so devastating because once you imp implement the policy, you can't undo that. Once people start getting kicked out right. of the military, right. you and, can't and there undo are, that damage. And there are a significant number of people at risk. I mean, the people right. who have transitioned and are serving are grandfathered in okay. under this policy, yeah. which is why it makes no sense. Because if they're serving well, then what's stop other people from serving well? Yeah, we can. I think we can. We can predict that it's going to be a while until this ban is implemented. Okay. And even when it's implemented, we're not sure what the shape of that implementation will be, and that the ongoing disputes about discovery may have an effect on the Defense Department in deciding what they want to do. Yeah, there are so many issues in here, and I'm glad that you. There's so much more to talk about, particularly as we move into the discovery phase, and so um, I appreciate you unpacking this for people. And before we go on yeah. uh, to take our little break and go to our next segment, I yeah. did want to mention uh, we are recording this on February 12th, and this Friday, February 15th, the Supreme Court will end its uh, midwinter uh, study and writing period. They take about a month where they just focus on uh, writing opinions okay. on the cases that have been argued. Uh, because if you if you check out the Supreme Court's website and look at the released opinions this term, it's like a handful. Yeah. And they argued a lot of cases. Okay. So uh, this is when they do catch-up from mid-January to mid-February. So they're going to resume conferencing this Friday. They're going to resume hearing cases next Monday. And on the agenda for discussion by the court, once again, are the three cases involving Title VII and whether it covers sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, also on the agenda for the first time is uh, a case out of the Fourth Circuit involving a lesbian college instructor who was uh, denied tenure and who's claiming it was because of her sexual orientation, although that's not the central issue in the case. It's one of many issues. It's a procedurally dense case, but that's on the conference for the 15th. Okay. And uh, also on the conference uh, the following week, on the 22nd, is the Boyertown School District case, Title, Title IX, IX Transgender okay. Students. Uh, and that presents, just in another statutory context, one of the same questions in the Title VII cases, what does because of sex mean? 
And we actually had a new Fifth Circuit decision uh, recently, and we'll discuss that later when we uh, discuss the Title VII cases that uh, have come out over the past month. There's so much to talk about. So we are going to take a break because uh, I'm, I'm really interested to get your opinion on the next batch of cases that we're going to talk about. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. Great. So last month, New York became the 15th state to ban the barbaric practice of conversion therapy. But many cities and counties across the state already banned the practice, including New York City. The anti-gay hate group ADF, or Alliance Defending Freedom, is now asking a federal court to declare that the law is unconstitutional and to issue an injunction against its enforcement by the city. Most of the challenges to these bans on conversion therapy have been unsuccessful. However, this month, the Anti-LGBT Liberty Council succeeded in, succeeded in getting a federal magistrate to recommend a limited preliminary injunction against enforcement of Tampa's conversion therapy ban. So there's a lot going on here, and we have a developing story which um, is coming out of the Third Circuit and some Supreme Court um, well, a Supreme Court petition that Art is um, already ready to break down for us. It's hot off the presses, um, and even though it's hot off the presses, it's cold comfort. <laughs> um, oh yeah, this is ba- bad news. So Art, um, I'll I'll let you decide how to break up all of these issues, but let's attack this conversion therapy stuff. Okay. Well, the thing is that uh, conversion therapy can take many, many different forms. This is the thing we have to uh, put out there at the beginning. And the bands, too. And the bands, too. Uh, most of the bands just involve uh, performance of conversion therapy by minors, and they usually uh, take the form of a regulation of licensed healthcare practitioners, usually psychologists or psychiatrists. And the state has a compelling interest in doing that, well, or well, an interest that you can articulate that we will describe we as will, compelling. We will describe as compelling. <laughs> but, but the point is that uh, when we talk about the state laws in New Jersey, the new one that was just passed in New York, uh, the California law, the other laws around the country, they focus on performance of this on minors. And uh, it it really is made a matter of professional uh, responsibility uh, that uh, people could lose their licenses for doing this. They could be fined, things of that sort. Uh, they don't necessarily provide a private cause of action. Uh, the enforcement will be through a government agency. Okay. Uh, but it's a form of professional discipline, and it's supposed to discourage these people from providing the therapy. And, Torture. Uh, these have been attacked, and uh, the two most prominent decisions rejecting the attacks were by the Third Circuit in the New Jersey case and the Ninth Circuit in the California case. Uh, The New Jersey case is uh, King, Tara King, Ph.D., so she's a psychologist. Uh, And the Ninth Circuit case is David Pickup, who also is a psychologist. Well, Pickup, uh, now that the Ninth Circuit's, and both of them were denied cert by the Supreme Court, by the way, Uh, now that uh, the Ninth Circuit decision was final and denied cert, you know, pickup can't do this in in California. He's moving to Florida, or he's claiming he's moving to Florida and he's going to seek a license He's going to pick up and leave? He is is a (laughs) co-plaintiff in the... What a jerk. He is a co-plaintiff in the Tampa case. Of course. You know, and uh, Liberty Council loves him. So uh, what's happening here is cities are doing it, like Tampa, like New York. 
Tampa's is very similar to the state laws. It focuses on uh, a licensed healthcare professionals providing services to minors. What the New York City Council did was they went a lot further. The New York City Council measure just took effect uh, about a year ago. It was even a little less, maybe. It little, well, it was enacted uh, without Governor uh, Mayor De Blasio's signature. It was like super majority yeah. of the city council. Wow. He didn't even bother signing it. It just went into effect, and it broadly forbids the practice by anyone, not just licensed healthcare professionals, and providing the treatment to anyone, not just minors. So it's like across the board. Uh, and it has attracted, as you mentioned, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom has brought a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court over in Brooklyn uh, on behalf of a uh, psychologist named Dr. David Schwartz. David Schwartz is an Orthodox Jew who practices primarily in the Hasidic community. They've said all Schwartz does, he doesn't go out and he doesn't capture gay kids on the street and drag them in and torture them and stuff. He just talks to them. He just talks to them. And uh, they don't even mention kids in the complaint. Yeah. They, they just say his patients. Uh, and they say he has a general practice. Lots of people come to him for psychological counseling and stuff like it's that. Consensual because it's consensual. It, it, yeah, people always. come to him. He says he doesn't solicit. It's word of mouth. It's basically referrals within the Orthodox Hasidic community. Uh, that's his clientele. And he says, and I talk to them. I listen to their problems. I try to help them. And he doesn't claim that he cures homosexuality. He claims that he helps them suppress these feelings and enhance their feelings for the opposite sex so they can have a normal life in uh, marriage and kids because uh, in the Hasidic Jewish tradition and in the Orthodox Jewish tradition, if you don't have marry and get kids, you're violating God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply. And meanwhile, it's important to note that we don't know how many people have been subjected to conversion therapy, right. but it's as many as one in three um, right. LGBT Hundreds people. Hundreds of thousands of so people. So we're talking about a lot of people and every leading medical yes. and oh, mental they, health they, they organization all agree, all agree that work. not only doesn't work, but suicide, mental health problems, right. you know, substance abuse, it's very dangerous. So but this these is are the stakes. This, so this and is talking good, about talk right. therapy. Right you know, kind of well, doesn't... To, well, reducing it to talk therapy immediately brings into play the First Amendment, which is what they're really focused on. Got it. And here they have some very, very important recent assistance from the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. Uh, and the reason it's important is because uh, what we've been relying on in defending these laws now are these Third and Ninth Circuit decisions in which cert was denied. And so we're talking going back three or four years when the cert was denied on these. So uh, last spring, in a case called National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becara, or Becerra, Becerra, uh, is the uh, then Attorney General of of California. Oh, yeah, Becerra, yeah, Yeah, he was a congressman. Right, so uh, what happened was California passed a law uh, that said these clinics that have sprung up in the pro-life, you know, anti-abortion community where, where people come in and they're counseled to have their ch- children and all this kind of stuff. Another quack clinic, yes. But yes. So California passed a law saying if you are providing health care services to pregnant women, you must inform them of the availability of abortion that is provided by the state of California free of charge to them if they need it. And 
this was challenged, and the Supreme Court said it violated the First Amendment rights of these clinics. And in the course of its decision, it said California is relying on, among other things, the Ninth Circuit case on conversion therapy, the Third Circuit case on conversion therapy. They said these courts have talked about professional speech as if it doesn't enjoy the same First Amendment protection as all other speech. We have never created a category of professional oh, speech, they Lord said. Lord have mercy. And so if you go now and you find, for example, King versus uh, Christie, which was the Third Circuit case, uh-huh. and you find it, did I print it out here? Uh, no, but if you find it, you will find that what Westlaw has put on the top, it says abrogated by... Wow. You know, and I'm sure the same on pickup because both of them were mentioned in the court specifically sort of disavowed the analysis they used in those cases uh, because neither of them applied uh, strict scrutiny. Uh, They said professional speech doesn't get the same level of protection as political speech, which gets strict scrutiny or artistic or whatever. They said professional speech uh, gets heightened scrutiny, and we think... It survives heightened scrutiny. We think the legislative findings about the harm to well, minors. Because the state regulates all sorts of right. professional right. Um, speech, licensure. But, but the court is saying that uh, licensed professionals do not give up their full panoply of First Amendment oh, rights, so the state has to have a compelling reason to restrict their speech. Once again, we've got the First Amendment on right. steroids here. And this is, this is last spring Supreme Court before Kavanaugh, when Kennedy was still on it. Uh, okay. So... Uh, this we're going to we're going to run into this problem, and we already ran into it in Tampa, and that that helps to explain the Tampa situation because Tampa, of course, was defending their law based on the citation to the Ninth and Third Circuit cases, and last spring, the uh, magistrate already signaled that she was concerned by this uh, ruling uh, from the Supreme Court abrogating those cases, and so. In her ruling, the magistrate judge, and, and people need to be reminded here because a lot of the headlines that came out uh, about this ruling were very misleading. They said the federal district court strikes down the, yeah, and they didn't. Yeah. What she did was she granted a motion for We preliminary. need you to write all, all the yes. articles, Art. <laughs> she, she granted, uh, she recommended right, to the district judge. This is a report and recommendation to the district judge by the magistrate on a pretrial motion. Okay. She recommended a... Uh, preliminary injunction, but it's premised on the following things. Uh, that the therapy that is going to be allowed, that is, that they're enjoined from enforcing against, has to be strictly talk therapy that is consensual. I, okay. Uh, and it's like uh, someone is forcing someone, because this also involves minors, someone is forcing them. It has to be with their consent. And uh, that is a very sticky issue because, you know, parents tell the kids, you, you must go to this. Is that really consensual? No, of course and, not. And, and furthermore, the idea that talk therapy is harmless. And in fact, and, and I think this was a, a real sort of classification error on the judge's sort, uh, part, she said to get a preliminary injunction, among other things, you have to see whether the state has some... Uh, compelling interest that will be harmed in some irreparable way if uh, the ordinance is adjoined. And she said, well, they, this, the city of Tampa says, we're protecting the kids, we're protecting the kids. And the court said, well, that doesn't mean the city will be harmed, and therefore it doesn't count. And I think this is weird, because the city, like all government, uh, governmental entities, 
has a special role under the doctrine of parents patriae, a special role of protecting minors from harm. And they do in all sorts of contexts. Right. And so uh, she's saying as if uh, harm to the minors is an irrelevant consideration in deciding whether to issue a preliminary injunction against enforcement. That's wild. Uh, But it's narrow uh, in the sense that it's only talk therapy. Uh, If they go beyond talk therapy to anything else, they can be prosecuted under the statute. Okay. Uh, But... You know, cold comfort. So we have this case pending in Brooklyn. We have this case pending in Tampa. There's another case in Florida as well, another municipality which is before a district judge. So we'll have some decisions coming out. And the issue that's signaled for us is what will be the impact of this Supreme Court ruling from the spring. And we've also already seen uh, Liberty Council has now jumped on this Supreme Court case and is asking to reopen the New Jersey case. Uh, Here's what happened. The New Jersey case was decided in uh, 2014 by the Third Circuit. This is the Jonah case. No, this is the Jonah case is a state case, not a federal case. Oh, right. That happened in state court. That was consumer fraud. Right. This was a suit by some psychologists against the state, against Chris Christie, actually, who signed the ban into law. Uh, And uh, they lost in the Third Circuit. The Third Circuit was the one that went on, uh, they differed from the Ninth Circuit in their analysis. The Ninth Circuit said this is a regulation of professional conduct that incidentally affects speech, so it's just heightened scrutiny. The Third Circuit said, we disagree with the Ninth Circuit, which had gone first. They said, we think this is a speech case to the extent that the therapy involves speech. And there was a big pitch about talk therapy to the Third Circuit. So they said, to the extent it involves speech, it is a First Amendment case, and it does. it is a content-based regulation of speech, but it's professional speech, which we're going to treat as only getting heightened scrutiny, not strict scrutiny, and we say it survives heightened scrutiny. Uh, Liberty Council filed a cert petition, which was denied, and you think that's the end of the matter. Yeah. Okay, now with the Supreme Court having expressly abrogated that decision, uh-huh. Liberty Council files a motion in the Third Circuit to revoke its mandate in the case. Wow. To reconsider. Okay. And, the, and that's and, what we're dealing with here in this well, petition. Yes. And so what happened was the Third Circuit panel refused to revoke the mandate, so yeah. they petitioned for on bank. And there was they were denied on bank. And so now they have filed a cert petition in the Supreme Court on February eleventh, asking the Supreme Court to uh, you know, whether it is appropriate when uh, the Supreme Court abrogates a Court of Appeals decision for the Court of Appeals to refuse to revoke their mandate. And what they're angling for is for uh, the court to reconsider its original denial of cert, but I don't think that's timely. I think this procedurally would be a mess. Yeah. Uh, And the very idea that they're petitioning from a denial of a motion to revoke a mandate is sort of odd. I don't know how the Supreme Court's going to look at this. But they're asking for the court basically to uh, rule on the merits. In this case, they're looking for a general ruling that when a Supreme Court decision abrogates or puts it to serious question, a prior circuit court ruling, whether that circuit court has an obligation to withdraw its mandate and reconsider the case. Okay. So we'll see what happens. Uh, watching and waiting on this, but people should know that this is – a question that we thought was being reasonably well settled in the, in the circuit courts has now... And by the states with right. a lot of legislation. Right. I mean, the, it's and on it's the now, move. It's now yeah. been reopened, though, for judicial consideration by the Supreme Court's action last spring. All right, let's go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about some employment discrimination goings-on. 
Great, we're back. So, so far, the Supreme Court has not taken up the issue of whether Title VII, the federal law that protects um, folks from workplace discrimination, also prevents discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. But that hasn't stopped the issue from being addressed at the circuit level, and there continues to be significant circuit splits among them. We are also going to talk about in one circuit court case, but a few instances where district courts are pushing back against bad precedents in in, in this area. Art, give it to us. Let's start with maybe the Fifth Circuit case. Okay, the Fifth Circuit. And this is not in the February issue of Law Notes because the opinion came out on February 6th, so it will be addressed in detail in the March issue. But we give you the most up-to-date, up-to-date. information right. on the podcast. So, so this was a case, and and... When I was reading it, I thought, is this judge totally out to lunch? Uh, James Ho, the circuit judge. He's not only out to lunch, he's so dangerous. Well, he's a Trump appointee. Of course. He's He's, brand new. He's crazy. He's only been on the court for about a year. He's uh, an activist. He wrote the opinion for the panel, (laughs) but he also wrote a concurring opinion because he couldn't get the two other judges to go along with all the weirdness in his concurring opinion. So this, this involves a transgender person who had applied for a job with Phillips 66. uh, And she told them when she applied, uh, she didn't tell them she was transgender when she applied. Uh, She did tell them that she wanted to leave her previous job because she was unhappy about something about travel or things like that. Uh, It turns out uh, she was leaving her previous job because she was fired. (laughs) But her discharge hadn't taken effect yet. So anyway, they had preliminarily offered her uh, the position and uh, then they did some reference checking and stuff, and they found out that she had been fired from her previous job, and they withdrew the offer. So uh, she gets in touch with them, and she says, you're discriminating against me because of my gender identity. I said, what? What's, what's this about your gender identity? Hmm. So uh, it's a sort of strange case. So she ends up filing under Title VII, and uh, it comes before Judge Lee Rosenthal in the Federal District Court in Dallas, and she took a look at Fifth Circuit precedent and she said, I don't see Fifth Circuit precedent on gender identity. I, And I'm looking at the Second Circuit Zardy case and the Seventh Circuit Hively case and it looked very persuasive to me. So I'm going to assume that this is actionable under Title VII, but when I analyze the facts alleged, it seems to me that no jury is going to rule in favor of her. And, and uh, so Judge Rosenthal granted summary judgment against her uh, on the grounds that she didn't have a good prima facie case and everything and it, it right. and the the uh, company had a good non-discriminatory explanation for why they withdrew the offer and not only that that they claimed they didn't even know she was transgender at the time they withdrew the offer okay. so how could it be gender identity discrimination so that was the basis on which they uh, granted summary judgment uh, uh, Judge uh, Rosenthal so it gets appealed by Whitmer Nicole Whitmer to the Fifth Circuit and uh, Judge Ho says for the panel, and, and by the way, all of uh, gay law was like amicus briefs here. Uh, and uh, Whitmer was represented by counsel, but uh, also, uh, I mean, NCLR was in on this case, and Lambda Legal had a brief in on this case, and the ACLU, and uh, Glad from Boston, everyone had, had briefs in on this case because they thought this is a chance to get the Fifth Circuit to rethink this issue because... And that would be huge yes, if the Fifth Circuit the Fifth actually... Circuit, that's, that's big as Texas, that, you know, yeah. Louisiana. So uh, the problem is that they have been relying on a case, a really old case from 1979 
called Bloom versus Gulf Oil Corporation. We've talked about this We've case because the Eleventh Circuit. The Eleventh Circuit also this. relies on it because this was decided before the circuit split. Right. And the Eleventh was a new circuit. That this split damn off. Bloom case. So the Bloom case, and all the Bloom case says. I yes. All it says is one line in the opinion. It, it, it isn't even you know necessary to the outcome, from what I understand. It just says that Title VII does not prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. No analysis, no explanation, just that one line. And no, it's All not right. gender identity. It's not gender they identity. Confused. All right, so Ho <laughs> says, uh, you know, the Fifth Circuit, three judge panels of the Fifth Circuit are bound by the Bloom decision, which has never been overruled, which has never, we, the circuit's never gone on bank on this. As a three-judge panel, we are bound by it. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading this, so what? That was about sexual orientation. This is about gender identity, especially in light of Price Waterhouse and the whole sex stereotyping theory. Gender identity has its own analysis apart from sexual orientation. I mean, if your underlying theory of statutory interpretation is the statute is limited to what the legislators or people living at that time would have thought was intended, well, then obviously we lose. But if you take a more dynamic view of statutory interpretation, which is how the Supreme Court has approached the issue of sex discrimination under Title VII to cover things that the legislators in 1964 wouldn't have dreamed of. Yeah, conservative justices of the Supreme Court. Yes, Uh, the the gender stereotyping, uh, well, it was Brennan and the plurality, but uh, there were concurring decisions by O'Connor and White. You know, so... uh, the gender stereotyping theory is pretty well established now. The question is, how far does it take you? But Ho seems to think that uh, that the Bloom case sort of binds them on this, but he says, but we're not going to have to reconsider this issue. We're not going to have to consider this issue at all. Uh, he says... Uh, Bloom is binding circuit precedent. Uh, But we nevertheless affirm the district court on other grounds. The district court correctly granted summary judgment for the employer because the employee failed to present sufficient evidence to support a prima facie case of discrimination and because the employee failed to present a genuine issue of material fact concerning pretext. Okay. All right. So limited limited damage, right? Toss it out on standard Title VII pleading requirements. Uh, Even though Judge Rosenthal assumed for purposes of the case that gender identity is covered. All right. So uh, then he writes a lengthy concurring opinion. Oh, my God. uh, So so before the concurring opinion, this was – you know, now the the folks are going to go and ask the Fifth Circuit to s- yeah. hear this en banc, like right. a lot of the uh, right. and so circuits have done. He writes a concurring opinion, concurring in his own opinion. Okay. And he says, uh, the majority opinion makes plain what you go without saying, that our precedent remains binding in this circuit. I write separately to explain why our precedent is also correct as a matter oh of faithful God. legal interpretation. Only the Supreme Court can resolve this circuit split, of course, but because the EEOC has asked us to address this issue and because the district court puts the law of our circuit into question, further discussion is warranted. And then he basically, to a large extent, channels the dissenting opinions in Hively and Zarda and throws in his own thing. He says what the uh, EEOC is arguing is that employers may not consider someone's sex. 
He says that only works if you say that employers must be sex blind in making their decisions on hiring. And that's not what Title VII says. Title VII says sex can be a bona fide occupational qualification, for example. Employers must be colorblind under Title VII, but they don't have to be blind to sex of applicants or of current employees because sex could be a bona fide occupational qualification because there were differences between men and women that employers are entitled to take into account, et cetera, et cetera. And he focuses on bathrooms, workplace bathrooms, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so that's, that's Judge Ho. But Judge Higginbotham, he says, I concur fully in the dismissal of Whitmer's Title VII claim on the grounds stated in the majority opinion. Then he says, Bloom was decided decades before Lawrence versus Texas invalidated laws criminalizing same-sex sexual conduct, and we have never since relied on Bloom for its holding that Title VII does not cover sexual orientation discrimination. Neither party in the district court or this court relied on or questioned Bloom's continued vitality. So wisely, I think, we do not reach here to resolve Bloom's endurance or the question of whether Title VII today prescribes discrimination against someone because of sexual orientation or transgender status. We do not because we cannot even with elegant asides. That's his little jab at Ho for writing this long concurring opinion, which he probably agrees with. Yeah. But he says, this isn't the time, this isn't the place, this isn't the case. So, uh, you know, if Whitmer, who is represented by private counsel, not by all these gay rights organizations, if she files for on-bank rehearing, I think the fifth will turn it down. Oh, no. But we have a circuit split because we have the second and seventh going in favor mm -hmm. of coverage. And we have the 11th going against several times and denying on bank review. And that's, well, but in the meantime, yeah. in the meantime, the interesting story is that judges in the circuits that haven't yet given us a good decision on this are really fighting against the precedents. And we've got two new cases uh, that we can talk about from the Eastern District of Pennsylvania and from Ohio, the uh, Southern District of Ohio. Okay. Ohio is Varner against APG Media of Ohio. A uh, gay newspaper delivery person. Uh, there's an issue in the case whether he is a uh, an independent contractor, which would wipe out Title VII entirely. But the judge said, "I can't decide that on summary judgment. It's too fact-based. The difference between even though he had an independent contractor contract, that's not dispositive. There's this long multifactorial test that the courts use so I need to distinguish yeah. between. But in the meantime, the only basis for this being in federal court is his Title VII claim. So I do have to look at the question. Uh, whether Title VII covers sexual orientation discrimination. So Varner alleged during his tenure as an employee, he was harassed verbally and physically based on sexual orientation multiple times. Yeah. Coworkers called him faggot and screamed at him in front of his daughter. He repeatedly reported harassment to HR to no effect. The day after one such incident, his supervisors terminated his agreement, his carrier agreement, and his employment without explanation, of course. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, he's bringing a Title VII case, and uh, the court uh, said, you know, we can't dispose of this on the independent contractor theory because it's fact-specific. But the question is, does Sixth Circuit precedent require us to dismiss this case? Now, there is a case in the Sixth Circuit, Vickers, and Vickers said sexual orientation discrimination is not covered under Title VII. And in terms of uh, sex stereotyping theory as an alternative theory, said uh, in the case of sexual orientation, it has to be a, uh, an external manifestation of gender nonconformity. But Judge Sargis, Chief Judge Sargis of the Southern District of Ohio, 
uh, Edmund Albert Sargis Jr., mm -hmm. says, well, just a minute, I have to decide what the Harris Funeral Home case does to this. Nice. Now, that was a gender identity case. Yeah. But in the course of that case, the Sixth Circuit panel in that case disavowed the approach of Vickers that you have to have external manifestations. Yeah. And he said, well, now it's free to be to ask whether just being gay is gender nonconforming in terms of stereotype theory. Mm -hmm. And I think that's plausible. I think that's plausible as an argument. The next case that we're talking about uh, dismisses without prejudice and allows refiling. This okay. is uh, District Judge Gerald Austin McHugh, Jr. in uh, Philadelphia, the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Uh, the case is Guess against Philadelphia Housing Authority. Once again, we have bad Third Circuit precedent. Uh, and uh, what this judge seems to say is, uh, You've got to be very careful and don't plead it as a sexual orientation discrimination case. Plead it as a sex stereotyping case because the Third Circuit goes for sex stereotyping, but they don't go for sexual orientation. And this judge, as much as says, look, the Third, I hope someone takes this on back. It's, you know, it's time for the Third Circuit to do something. Uh, the case in the Third Circuit that blocks sexual orientation cases is the Bibby case. And Judge McHugh writes at the end of his opinion, it will soon be two decades since the Third Circuit decided Bibby. Social and scientific understanding of sexual orientation has evolved, yeah. and the law with it. In one of the, the cases on which the housing authority relies heavily, Judge Dubois concluded that Bibby compelled him to dismiss the plaintiff's claim, but he did so with recognition that, quote, the nature of injustice is such that we may not always see it in our own times. All right, everyone, tell me where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Oh, Burgerfell! Wow. So Kennedy's opinion in Burgerfell. So he says, Although Bibby similarly compels me to dismiss plaintiff's claim of sexual orientation discrimination, I question whether forcing litigants to plead essentially the same case under different labels is mere artifice. Hmm. All right, so these district judges are saying, come on, guys, yeah. to their courts of appeals. Get That's with right. the program. Go on bank. Decide this. Of course, yeah. it's up to the plaintiff to sue. Well, the plaintiff here to petition for on bank. In the other case, the judge uh, didn't uh, dismiss it because he said there's enough in the pleadings for me to keep this as a sex discrimination right, case yeah. with, with sex stereotyping. Okay. So, but this is going on in district courts outside of the circuits that we have at this point, the second and seventh, wow. which is interesting. Yeah. Now, the eighth circuit has a case pending for oral argument, and uh, I think if the Supreme Court grants these cert petitions on Friday, the Eighth Circuit will not hold. decide that case. They'll put it on hold. Okay. But if the cert petitions are denied, uh, that court might proceed okay. on the case. It's interesting. I think the, the, the only reason the Fifth Circuit didn't wait to see what the Supreme Court was doing was because the majority of the panel, well, the entire panel agreed. Conservative. Well, no, the entire <laughs> panel agreed that this should, the summary judgment should be upheld on other grounds, that there was no need for them to decide this. Only one judge felt the need to decide it in this case. It, what's interesting is to point out that, of course, uh, Ho is a Trump appointee. Right. And I, I would argue that he is he is not an outlier. And is it is it it's like twenty percent of the circuit court judges now are Trump appointees? At least, yeah. Circuit because court. Uh, because the uh, Republican majority in the Senate and Mitch McConnell in particular were stonewalling Obama's uh, circuit nominees, and very few of them got confirmed during his second term. That's right. Leaving an incredible number of vacancies. In fact, the uh, Federal Judicial Center was saying there are emergencies 
of shorthandedness in so many circuits. All these district judges are sitting by designation. They've got senior judges. They're pushing them to take a full load. Well, and they're using every tactic in the book to make sure that they can steamroll these guys through quickly, which includes stacking up judges on circuit court judges on hearing panels so you can't question them. Um, You know, the blue slips are gone. There's little that folks can do to stop the march of Trump confirmation. The only way this can be stopped is uh, by a change uh, in the presidency in 2020. (laughs) And the Senate. And the Senate. You see, what, what McConnell craves is the ability to put these through by unanimous consent. And Chuck Schumer has been giving some of it. Yeah. Uh, so that he doesn't have to do roll call votes because when you do roll call votes, you have to do them one at a time. It takes and you a lot have of to time. Have debate and it takes right. up floor time. There should be outrage if call Chuck Schumer. <laughs> yeah, we should not be having that unanimous consent here. No. Uh, the the problem is then we get a Democratic president and uh, the Republicans will play hardball, but they're going to play hardball anyway. They, of course they will. Right. Uh, how many times are we Lucy with the football here? All right. Yeah. We have to wrap this up. This has been such an inf- this is a jam packed well, we episode. Oh my have god! How this is going to be a long one, but <laughs> of note is important. all right. We're going to do of note art. What Without do you have? What we Can have you give is, it in three minutes? What we have is Masterpiece Cake Shop is back. Oh, no. What happened to Masterpiece Cake Shop was that a transgender lawyer out there in the Denver area was really upset about the Masterpiece Cake, cake Shop case going to the Supreme Court. So uh, she called up Masterpiece cake, Masterpiece cake Shop and she said, I want you to bake me a cake mm-hmm. for my birthday. Okay. And Jack Phillips said, okay, you know, I do birthday cakes. And she said, I want it to be uh, pink on the outside and blue on the inside. Well, well, because it's also going to celebrate the anniversary of my transition. Okay. And he said, I don't do transition celebration cakes. I don't believe in gender transition. God made the male and female and it can't be changed, you know. And so he refused. And so she filed the charge. Of course, with the uh, Colorado Civil Rights Division, and they found probable cause, right. and they uh, bucked it up to the uh, commission for hearing, and uh, she uh, represented by uh, which will our, the commission will now be very yes. careful about what they say, right? And and, and represented by our ADF friends, of course, uh, they're everywhere. They they ran into federal court seeking an injunction. Against right the commission away. activities, and and you may recall that there's great hesitance by the federal courts to interfere with pending state proceedings, but uh, somehow she managed to persuade a federal district judge not to dismiss, not to grant the uh, the state's motion to dismiss. Okay. Uh, now, partially because she named individual members of the commission and stuff like that as defendants, and they said no qualified immunity on that. They're yeah. performing their official functions, but as against the commission itself, as against the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, this case is going to go as a First Amendment case, uh, free exercise and free speech. Yeah. And this case is different from the wedding cake cases because she is asking for uh, symbolism to be baked right into that cake. So there's a stronger First Amendment argument. Yeah, make this is... All right. Well, thank you so much, Art, on a snowy day here in New York City. We appreciate... Well, that's turning to rain. How beautiful. Thanks for listening. Listeners, hope you're warm and tucked under the sheets. This and future podcasts can also be found online in iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We'll be back soon. Bye.